to put up with. My name's Harley um, Rachel. I uh, work with Nick here at Redemption City Church and excited to be with you guys tonight, y'all, tonight. Uh, Nick had surgery on Valentine's Day. And he's here, sort of, yeah. He, are you on drugs? Okay, cool. We should uh, mess with him maybe later today. Uh, Nick is on drugs, but he's here, and we're excited. Medication, not drugs, that sounds bad. Um, We're excited uh, to be journeying together through the book of Acts. Uh, That's what we've been doing doing these last few weeks together. Um, looking at the book of Acts, and the reason that it's so appropriate is it's all about the start of the church, the book of Acts, and we are a brand new church. We're trying to really just follow what God wants us to be doing and who he's calling us to be here in South Austin, and it seems so appropriate because there's a lot of lessons that were learned by the early church that I feel like can and will transfer across to us um, as as a group of believers. So we've been journeying through the book of Acts. Last week, Nick talked about boldness. And uh, just the boldness of these early disciples, they had a lot of boldness. They're declaring boldly the message that Jesus is alive, that he is the Messiah to all these people in Jerusalem. And they get kind of uh, looked down on by the authorities because of that. And they go back and huddle together and pray for more boldness. So they already had boldness, and they pray for more. And so there was a, a lot of good truths in there for us to learn last week as Nick walked through that. We also talked the last couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's been doing in the early church, which I really have been encouraged by that just in, in thinking through how much we rely on and need the Holy Spirit to be a part of what we're doing here in South Austin. Without the Holy Spirit, our efforts, our time, our energy is just pointless. I really do believe that. We need the Spirit of God to breathe His life through this church for it to be what He's calling it to be. So last week, like I said, we talked about this issue where, where there was some oppression from the outside of the early church. It was what you would call an extrinsic pressure. It was external, um, something from the outside coming in and putting pressure. Well, what we're looking at this week is the opposite of that. We're looking at an internal issue that was starting to put pressure on the church, Um, an intrinsic, if you'd like fancy words, pressure that was coming to put pressure on the church. And so I think this week is very important for us to look at because it kind of gives us a roadmap on how to handle internal issues. It gives us a guideline on on how we can address things as they come up because issues are going to happen. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. If uh, you're kind of like, how did we jump from chapter 4 last week to chapter 6 this week? Well, in your uh, listening guide, who's got a listening guide? Hold it up. Somebody hold up a listening guide for me. Amy, hold it up high. There we go. In your listening guide, there is two sides. There's the side that you're meant to be taking notes on. There you go, meant. I used it already. I'm going to be thinking about that all night. Uh, You've got the side that you're taking notes on, and then on the other side is actually a reading plan. And our hope is, and honestly, this doesn't make you a grade-A Christian if you do this, but our hope is that you would follow along with us reading each day as it's kind of prescribed out through the book of Acts, so the bits in between, like chapter 5, which we just brushed over, we read that last week. So you're not missing anything, 
Um, and, and if you're wondering what a, a quiet time really looks like, it looks like simply this, uh, or this is a suggestion of it. You would sit down in the morning, find a quiet place. I know that's hard for some of us. Find a quiet place and read through that passage. But before you read through that passage, sit down there with your Bible. Say, God, would you speak to me this morning? Read that passage and then journal out some of the answers to those questions. Those aren't magical questions, but they're helpful. Four questions there that you can answer. Write out your answers. Spend some time praying or writing down some prayer requests or, you know, talking with God. That's what we're suggesting that you do. And I really believe that that will be a positive thing for you as you journey in your faith. Um, if, if you're looking to grow, if you're looking to, on how to follow with us, that's a great suggestion. So anyway, that's my shameless plug there for the reading plan right at the start. Well, let's pray and uh, dive in to the meat of what we're talking about tonight. Would you guys mind just praying with me? Uh, let's, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and I just want to ask you to ask God to speak to you tonight. And if you'd ask him to just take away distractions too. Finally, I'd just like to ask you to pray for me that I would speak very clearly uh, what he's wanting me to say. God, thank you that you hear these prayers in this room tonight. Thank you for bringing us together as we, as we open this passage, as we look at Acts 6 tonight. Lord, I pray that you would very clearly speak to each of us. Lord, I pray that there would be a truth or several truths that really kind of impact our heart. May your Holy Spirit be working in this room and in this passage tonight. We just ask for that in the name of Jesus, trusting you. Amen. All right. Well, multiplying church, which is what we're talking about tonight, really means multiplying mess. Okay? You guys tracking with me? Multiplying church means multiplying mess. People are messy. Would you guys agree with that statement? Yes? No? Maybe so? Yes. Okay, we have a yes. Thank you. Uh, I was reminded of how messy people are this week. We've had a whole bunch of sickness and stuff going on in our house. And it's just, I mean, on a very physical level, reminded of how messy people are this week. My son taught me a great lesson on how he was born into this world and likes to create mess. He... uh, this is kind of gross, but he's been stopped up the last uh, last few weeks, I feel like. Anyway, uh, we, we gave him some laxatives this week, and um, nothing happened, nothing happened, and then, woo! You know, everything everything happened at once, and Liz called, my wife called me into the room, because she couldn't deal with, she's pregnant, she couldn't deal with it, and so I got to change the worst diaper or nappy, as we say in Australia, the worst diaper that I had seen in my entire life. Uh, it, was, it was really, I mean, you guys don't understand this yet, but it, it was nasty. And as I was thinking about people being messy, that honestly came to my mind was this thought of traffic and how my son, I didn't have to teach him how to make mess and how to be messy. We just naturally are born messy people. It's how we are. This, this human body that we live in is a messy thing. It's as the Bible refers to it, it talks about the flesh. Um, Paul talks about this tent, this body, that we've got this spirit that, you know, as Christians, we believe that we've been saved, we've been redeemed, we're, we're purified, but it's still trapped inside this earthly body that makes a mess. 
And that's not just a physical mess, that's an emotional mess, it's a spiritual mess. We have issues, we have problems that come out. But the good news tonight, and this is your first fill in the blank if you're following along, is that messy situations are an opportunity for gospel change and gospel growth. Now that may sound like a really churchy phrase to you tonight, and I hope it's not too churchy, but that's what really what we're going to unpack tonight is how there's this messy situation in the church and God uses it and kind of flips this thing that could have been really detrimental to the early church to become something that's actually really positive for the early church. He uses a messy situation to make something awesome come of it. You guys have maybe heard the song, there's a song by a band called Gunga that says, you make beautiful things out of my life. It's, it's like he takes these, um, another song, uh, Shane and Shane talks about beauty for ashes, which is quoting a scripture. He takes the junk in our lives and makes something beautiful out of it. And we're going to see that happening on a, like a corporate level, a church level here tonight in this text. So I'm excited for us to, uh, to talk about this. Um, I think if you guys think with me about hard situations or messy situations in your life, difficult obstacles that you've encountered in your life, if you think about a few of those things, those probably were moments of growth in your life. Growth in character, growth in wisdom, growth in experience, whatever it was. Just, I want you to think for just like 10 seconds, just sit there and think, what are some really kind of messy or hard situations that you've come, come across? And I want you to think, were those opportunities of growth and um, character development uh, of, of, of change in a good way for you? My guess is that probably yes. I could sit here tonight and give you story after story of the hardest things that have happened to me and, and how those have actually turned out to be positive things. How the, that God has been able to redeem those things and, and make them good things. And so really that's what we're looking at tonight in this text. Now, before we jump into this text, I want to give us a little bit of context Sorry, that really didn't mean that to rhyme, but it does. Uh, So as we're jumping into the text, let's think about where we're coming from, okay? So Book of Acts, like I said, is the early church. Let's just back it up a little bit, and I want to give you some background on where where we're coming in, because I think it's wrong for us to just jump into the text, especially if you're just kind of joining us tonight and not sure where we've been up to. So backing up the truck a little bit, there's this guy Jesus, who as Christians, if you read through the scriptures, we believe is God's son. Jesus is hanging out here on earth and he's got a group of 12 12 disciples who are hanging out with him day in, day out. And in their mind, they're starting to figure out that that he is God's son and that he's come to redeem them. And in their minds, they think, okay, this guy is going to overthrow the Roman government that oppresses us and we're going to, you know, he's going to be the king. We're going to be his like sidekicks. This is going to be awesome. That's what they had in their mind. Well, Jesus, they didn't know this, but Jesus had much bigger things in mind than overthrowing the Roman government. His plan was to actually overthrow sin, that sin problem, that mess problem we were talking about earlier. His idea was to overthrow that by being God's son, being perfect, living the perfect life, and then dying in our stead. So, Jesus comes, he he comes to Jerusalem. The leaders are jealous of all the miracles and the things that he's doing. They plan and strategize to have him crucified. They didn't really realize what was happening was by killing him, they were making him the sacrifice for our sins. So he becomes the sacrifice for the sins of the people who are alive then, who were alive before, and the people who are alive now, like post 
Jesus coming and dying on the cross. Does that make sense? So Jesus dies for the sins of everybody. The cool thing about it is three days later, we celebrate this at Easter especially, he raises from the dead. There isn't another religion that believes in a risen God, okay? Somebody who was raised from the dead. That's who we believe in. And so he's raised from the dead. He goes and hangs out with his disciples again. And again, they're like, okay, are you going to restore the kingdom? You know, let's overthrow the Romans. And he says, no, I'm sending you. He said, I want you to be my witnesses here and throughout the world. Acts 1.8. So that's the start of Acts. Sorry, I know I'm giving you the long version here, but I think it's good for us to get a context here of the gospel. That is what the gospel is, is that Jesus came to die for our sins. Okay, so he comes, he sends them, and then they get sent out. The church starts to explode. The Holy Spirit comes, the church explodes with growth. We know that there's at least 8,000 people at this point that have have joined the church, probably a lot more. But we know of at least 8,000 that are talked about in the text that have, have grown into the church. They have some external issues. And like I said, now we're about to read about some internal issues that are coming up between two groups inside this body of of believers is what they call themselves. Okay? So if you would turn with me to Acts 6, that is where we are going. Acts 6. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. Um, You are welcome. We would love for you to keep that if you do not own a Bible. Acts 6, you can find it there. In your text, there's, sorry, there's brown Bibles around. Grab a Bible. Acts 6, I would love for you to write, read with me as we go through this. I'm going to be pronouncing some names that I really are a little bit hard tonight, but uh, hopefully you can stick with me. Okay, here we go. Verse 1 of Acts 6. In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to to handle financial matters. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. By the way, just going to stop here. Please read, continue to read after tonight. I'm not going to get there tonight, but Stephen's story is what continues on after this. Awesome. He's the first martyr, first person who died for his faith. But great story. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't sound like a, a good sales pitch, does it? Great story, he dies. Uh, so, but uh, really good story um, of Stephen and how God used him in an amazing way, if you keep reading um, on through. Okay, so Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicona, uh, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, a couple of things uh, before we get too into this text that you need to understand. Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews, when it says that, 
is basically talking about Greek Jews, as in uh, Jews who spoke the Greek language and were immersed in the Greek culture, okay? So you guys tracking with me? There was a couple of different languages and cultures all kind of in this melting pot of Jerusalem. The Hebraic Jews were considered more the pure Jews. They spoke the Hebrew language and were immersed in the Hebrew culture. And they would sometimes look down on the, those that kind of were of the Greek persuasion. Okay? So you've got these two groups of people and they are starting to say, you know, hey, you're not looking after us as well as our widows as well as you're looking after these other widows. So you've got these two groups they're kind of coming together and saying, hey, this isn't really working out very well. Now, I believe that if the apostles had just let this thing kind of go behind closed doors and fester, it could have become a real issue. Like, it could have really become the first church split. You could have ended up with a Greek-speaking church and a Hebrew-speaking church. You could have had these two cultures, like, right there, really quickly. I mean, you guys have heard probably about churches growing up and blowing up and splitting you know that thing happens a lot in our culture but thankfully God gave a lot of wisdom to these early church leaders to know how to handle this situation and so that's what we're going to look at tonight the rest of our time is going to be kind of spent looking at what wisdom did God give these early church leaders now you guys may be sitting there tonight saying you know I'm not a church leader so I don't know if this really applies to me but the fact is whether you're super young or you're older God, as, as if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, you are an example of what it looks like to be a Christian. People are watching you. They're examining your life and therefore you are a leader. You are a Christian leader because you are showing people how to live. So I think all, the, all these principles really apply to you as well as they apply to us as a body of believers. Okay? So you guys with me? Let's jump into the first thing in your notes there. Um, God gave wisdom to the early church leaders to address issues quickly. That's your first kind of fill in the blank there, is to address issues quickly. I want you guys to notice that the 12 didn't kind of, like I said, let it fester behind closed doors. They're like, hey, guys, we need to address this. So they, they stick, get the whole group together and say, hey, this is what's going on. They weren't f- afraid to say, hey, this, honestly, this is what's going on. They, they spoke boldly. And so my hope is as we grow as a church that we would be honest about the things as they come up, that we'd be honest, that we'd have a culture where we speak the truth, that there isn't little conversations going off in the side doors, but there's a conversation as a corporate body that says, hey, we need to address this. This is something that's going on. So they addressed the whole group very quickly. Like we said earlier, multiplying church means a multiplying mess. And as you have rapid growth, that growth requires administration. And the thing that was happening there in, uh, in Jerusalem was these people were coming to faith. They were coming to, to have their spiritual needs met. But as they were having their spiritual needs met, they were also like, hey, I'm a widow. I, I need food. I need help. I need shelter. And, and so often as a church, we try to, you know, separate things out and say, you know, we're going to meet spiritual needs. Well, well that's, that's kind of hard because people aren't just spiritual. They're physical. They're, they're mental. They're emotional. The people, you can't compartmentalize people. As you minister to their spiritual needs, you're going to need to minister to their physical needs as well. And so uh, 
I want you guys to see this because I think it's so, it's so often that we kind of compartmentalize these things out. And so as you begin to meet people, as you interact with people who have spiritual needs, be aware that there's probably physical needs that you can be meeting as well. And that's a great way for you to interact and, and be a blessing and be a doorway into their lives. I think a great example of this is, uh, if I think to my own life, if I'm eating right, if I'm exercising and I'm sleeping well, my spiritual life and my emotional life is way better. I don't know if you guys have experienced that, but that's totally true for me. And it's just a great reminder that my, my being who I am is so interconnected. And it's the same with other people. We can't separate and say, hey, we're just going to, you know, we're going to preach to you and say, God bless you on your way. When somebody has a, a physical need, they need food, they need shelter, what, whatever it is they need. They have an emotional need. There's something going on in their life that they need somebody to sit down and walk through with them. And so we need to be ready to address these needs, but we need to address these needs quickly as they come up. And that's what these early church leaders were given wisdom to do. Okay, so that was your first fill in the blank to address issues quickly. The second thing that God gave wisdom to the early church leaders to do was to realize their limitations. They realized their limitations. They weren't like, hey, we've hung out with Jesus, we got this. You know, we're going to look after you. You guys just need to be quiet. We're going to get food to you. It's going to be fine. You know, they didn't stand up and and pretend that they had it all under control and were able to do it. They realized that they were human and that there was only so much they can do. And there was a, a, a big lesson for each of us in that, in that there's only so much we can do. God has uniquely equipped each of you with certain things that you're good at. My encouragement to you is find those things and do them. Use them. Let God use you in those ways in this church. Uh, because I feel like there's such a fulfillment that comes in those things. But don't try and do more than what God's given you. Some of us are bad about, and I've been guilty of this, of saying yes to everything. You know, you get asked to do something, you get asked to do something. Yes, yes, yes. Because you just want to say yes to everything and, and please people. But I think there's a great truth here in the scripture that's basically that these guys, I mean, these are stud Christians. If you want to talk about guys who are like fired up, spent time with Jesus, God incarnate. These guys have spent time with Jesus like three years. They still realize, hey, we can't do it all. We, we're, we want to devote to preaching and to prayer. We need somebody to take care of these financial matters. And so they were, they were quick to realize their limitations and pick some other young men um, who were able to help out. Well, maybe they were old. I don't know if they were old or young. One thing that I do want to point out here um, that may be interesting to you, the names of these guys that are listed there, all those names that I struggled with, <laughs> they, uh, the theologians that write, write about this passage, they believe that all these guys are Hellenistic Jews. They're all these ones they picked from this group were Hellenistic by their names. They are Greek-sounding names, okay? So it's interesting that they chose some um, Greek-sounding guys. Okay, so thirdly, last, well, not thirdly, I've got four things here, sorry. God gave wisdom to the early church leaders to recruit quality leaders. Recruit quality leaders, my heart is that we as a church would be a church that recruits people that are quality leaders and that each of us would aspire to have these qualities that we're about to talk about. If you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to take down these three things that we see in the text that were qualifications of these leaders. 
because I think they're things that we should aspire to. The first is this, is that we would be, uh, and that these leaders would be people of good reputation. It's good to aspire to have a good reputation, to be somebody that people look at and look up to. It's not bad to aspire to have a good reputation. That doesn't mean we need to beat up or, or worship other people's opinion of us. But it does mean that we seek to honor God in our relationships with others. Does that make sense? Second thing, sorry, we're going to move through these quickly, is that they had to be full of wisdom. Wisdom's one of those things that's kind of like, how do you grasp, you know, am I wise? Am I not wise? Well, I, I think uh, the book of Proverbs, which we read through in January, was really good in that because it, it talks about wisdom and how it cries out on the street for somebody to listen and how wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. There's a bunch of good scriptures about wisdom. I don't think it's bad for you to pray and say, God, would you help me to be wise? That's a good prayer. That's a good thing to ask. And like I'm saying, these are good qualities to aspire to. The third and I would say most important qualification of these leaders was that they were filled with the Spirit of God. Again, this is something that people have muddied up over the years in church and said, you know, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? I think there's a really simple definition. We try and make it really complicated, but there's a very simple definition. You can tell if you're full of the Spirit or if somebody is full of the Spirit because you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their lives. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. You know, you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their lives. So my challenge to you guys tonight on this point simply is this, is to aspire to have these qualities in your own life. To pray and say, God, God, help me to be a person of good reputation. Help me to be a person of wisdom. And most importantly, God, help me to be somebody full of your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, come out of my life. Those are good things to aspire to. Yes? Okay, good. Lots of head nod. Okay, finally, the last truth that I kind of see in this scripture that I'd like for us to talk about tonight is that God gave wisdom to the early church leaders to help the church grow exponentially. I'm encouraged because this situation, rather than being, like I said earlier, detrimental to the church, was actually an opportunity for growth. Let me show you what I mean. This is what I think is probably maybe the coolest part of this whole scripture. Let's read verse 1 again, and then we're going to read verse 7 right after it. So the first verse and the last verse. It says this, In those days, as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. And we read the rest of that. Okay. So they're multiplying. The church is growing when this problem happened. The, the growth it hasn't stopped. It's explosive growth. You know, God's doing great things. But what I want you to see is verse 7 here. So after they've appointed these men who have these qualities of which we just talked about, listen to what, how he describes what happens. He says in verse 7, So the preaching about God flourished. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. He doesn't say just multiplied. He goes on to say multiplied greatly. So it's like the church was going like this. It hits this problem that could have really tank them. I mean, it really, I really, like I said earlier, I feel like it could have been the first church split over this issue. And instead of it being an issue, it multiplies greatly. It it leads them to elect leaders who help them to do their task even better. So it's a really, really positive situation. God uses this tough situation 
to, to kind of flip it on its head and become something really important. So I want to ask this question of you guys tonight, kind of in wrapping up. Why is it important for us to examine this passage? Why is it important enough to be a part of the Bible? Why did Dr. Luke write this passage and, and why would it be included in the Scriptures? And I feel like this is, this is the last thing I want you guys to fill in and you fill in the blanks. I think it's important because how we love people, God has put the people God has put around us is meant to be an illustration of the gospel. Let me explain that a little bit. What I'm trying to say here is this. I feel like this passage is so important because it shows us how in a tough situation, as, as outsiders are watching a tough situation inside of a church, and then that, that church handles it well, if we handle these issues that arise, they're going to arise. People are messy, like we talked about. As we handle issues in a way that honors God and honors people, people are going to be drawn to that. The gospel is going to go forward because of that. It's a beautiful illustration of, you know, it's a beautiful illustration because we too are messy. We were, we were messy. We needed God's help and he came and he loved us and he has enhanced our lives. And it's the same in this situation. It's an illustration of when we come to a messy situation as a body of believers and we seek God in that moment to honor him and we flourish out of that problem it's the same illustration. It's illustration of the gospel because it's the same thing. It's pointing people towards God. It's pointing them towards Him. Like we said earlier, that messy situations are an opportunity for gospel change and gospel, gospel growth. So really my question to you tonight is this, is how are we going to handle the obstacles as they come? How are we as Redemption City Church going to handle these problems as they arise? Are we going to handle them in a way that honors God? My encouragement to you guys tonight is that we would be people that use obstacles, whether on a personal level or on a corporate level, to point people towards the gospel, to point people towards Christ. So I want you guys, I'm going to ask Landon and his team to come up and um, lead us in a couple more songs. But as they do, I want to challenge you with a couple of really quick things. The first thing I want to challenge you with is, is this. What is God saying to you tonight? Was there something that we've talked about? Was there something as we were discussing in the scripture and reading that he was like, hey, hey, you really need to take care of this or you need to, you need to address this issue tonight or you need to be praying for this? I don't know what it is tonight, but I, I want to challenge you to think about something and not just let this be me talking for you know 30 minutes and, and you guys going home. I want you to think about what is God challenging you to do? How is he calling you to step up?